Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, briancleman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Sojourney, with me, Brian, the Angry Man Claimant, and we are on to episode 4040, Brian. That's like, uh, we've been together now doing this longer than most people have been married nowadays. So So today we got an interesting one. We're going to be talking about drones. Uh, Neither of us are experts in technology, but uh, we are going to talk about an interesting, uh, you know, it's, it's been around a while, but it is starting to make its way more and more into security. Um, and Brian has uh, decided to obtain a drone in the last uh, couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, as I was telling him before the podcast went on, he can barely drive a car. And now he's going to be driving a drone or flying a drone. So uh, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk to him about some of the interesting uh, aspects of drones. Um, some of the things that people may not be aware of that are required to bring that to use drones, at least legally and appropriately. Um, and then we're going to talk about some of the security challenges around those drones. Um, but as usual, we are going to talk about what's keeping him up at night, and he's never got a shortage of opinion on that. So let's turn it over to Brian. What's keeping you up these days? And well, before you go down, I'm going to pour myself a drink because I'm going to need it. And just so you know, this is an Italian bitter drink. I think it's appropriate for our discussion today because you just, you kill me. <laughs> well, I too, you've taken me to drinking, but it's Perrier because I'm a pro <laughs> and we're recording right now. We owe it to the listeners to be clear headed. <laughs> All right, you be clear-headed. I'll be drinking. Go ahead. <laughs> We're piecing up at night. Uh, the situation in Ukraine just is so heartbreaking. Uh, the news footage coming out of Ukraine um, is just harder and harder to take. It just is so amazing to me that uh, uh, a military, such as the Russian military, which I thought was a professional military, could target civilians the way civilians have been targeted. I think civilians in Ukraine have been targeted more frequently and more uh, 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 violently than military targets and strategic targets. And that's just so upsetting to me. And I think for a lot of people in the world, uh, I didn't think you would see these things, certainly not in the 21st century. And to make it even worse is my perception of people that are jumping on the bandwagon and being opportunistic, and I would include our prime minister in this, he's a statesman. He's got tears for everything. Yeah. While I think it's legitimate to be supporting Ukraine, he has uh, uh, come out or, or trying to position himself as one of the global leaders on Ukraine. The thing that I can't forgive or forget is that, again, we talked about this last week, the membership criteria in NATO is that you put two point, I think two percent of GDP contributed to your military budget. We were 1.4. The new budget came out. We're now to 1.5. Yet the way he presents himself to the world, you think that Canada is the leader in helping Ukraine and helping democracies. Yet we don't put our money where our mouth is. And what makes it all the more disconcerting is. The budget was like an Oprah budget. You get a car and you get a car and you get a yeah. car. A billion dollars for you and a billion dollars for you and a billion dollars for you. But there wasn't any money for military. You know what? 
get off the center stage. If you're not going to walk the talk, just sit back and be a, a mid-level uh, drama teacher that you are, and don't pretend to be a, a, a global statesman. That's just keeping me up at night, and it's quite frankly a little bit embarrassing. Mid-level, you're being generous. Jeez, I'd put him as a grade school <laughs> uh, drama student. Uh, but yeah, I agree, and I said I, I wasn't going to talk about the Ukraine because not because I, I don't think it's worthy of discussion. I just that's all you read about today. Um, so it, it is what it is. I agree with the with the Toronto with the uh, Canadian perspective in terms of. Um, military support. You know, we've had a long and proud history, certainly in the last century, of stepping up during both world wars and in Korea. And, you know, we were well known for peacekeeping all over the world in Syria, in uh, Cyprus comes to mind. Um, and always doing a job that was well beyond our punching weight um, with equipment that was lackluster at best. You know, always sort of crappy equipment that even Canadians used to make fun. I mean, I had a buddy who was in the armed forces. We used to make fun of him all the time. And he agreed with us that, that it was a joke, right? But they continued to do really good work as peacekeepers. And they had a great reputation. Since that uh, turn of the century, we've become a, a joke. Um, and we've let, uh, we've let that sort of that image, that persona fade away for whatever reason. I really don't understand it. Um, they like to say that we're not as big as, or, or maybe we're not as big as we we can be on the global stage, but I think it's all about leadership. If you act like a small player, then you get treated as a small player. And right now, our prime ministers, I think most most politi political leaders view him as uh, a schoolboy in in a play yard, you know, act in a group of people that are well beyond his his capacity. Yeah, and, and just to differentiate, you know, uh, my uh, displeasure with the actions of the government versus the Canadian forces. I am told, and I believe this, they are amongst the most professional, finest uh, military force in the world. Equipment is a problem. Neglect of government and budget is a problem. But it doesn't go down to the soldier level, to the personnel level, the men and women of the Canadian Forces. I saw just uh, today, actually, uh, on CNN, Jake Tapper interviewed Trudeau and the president of the European Union. And, you know, what amazes me, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, about political doublespeak, where politicians and our prime minister is an expert of this, don't answer a simple question. They answer with the speaking points. And he was there talking about Canada's commitment to Ukraine and to the humanitarian crisis that's going on. And when Jake Tapper asked him, what is Canada doing? And he talked about how we we're fast-tracking refugees and all the regular nonsense, like he said during the, when, uh, the fall of uh, Kabul, with yep. the translators in Afghanistan. And Jake Tapper said, how many refugees have you accepted to date? This war has been going on over a month. And Trudeau uh, stumbled for a second, and then he did the political doublespeak how Canada's a champion of democracies and freedom around the world, and Canadians are giving their hearts to what's happening. He didn't answer the question. It was a simple question. How many people have you accepted right now? And he deflected. He deflected by saying, you know, what we're hearing is people don't want to leave, uh, go far from where their husbands are fighting in Ukraine. That wasn't a question. The, the question was how many people. It's really a simple question. But that's the thing that keeps me up and also embarrasses me. We talk the talk. We do not walk the talk. And that's yeah. embarrassing. And that's that's upsetting. It is upsetting. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I mean, there was... Uh, I don't want to get too into it, but you know there was a time where you, I'd go overseas and and the Canadian flag was respected and it's not that they're spitting on it, spitting on it today 
or disrespected to a certain level, but the perception has definitely changed from where we used to be to where we are today. You know, we were in we were in the news for good reasons. We were leading the way. We were making change, and we were willing to take chances. Uh, you know, and to your point, sometimes I'm embarrassed to say, yeah, that's uh, that's Canada's best. That's the best we can do. It's not. We can do much better. We just don't have the leadership to do it. Well, you know, it, it it's akin to what's happening in the states right now. You know, in the Republican Party and Donald Trump, they're saying might be uh, the uh, the uh, rep the uh, presidential candidate for the Republicans at the next election. And I saw the uh, the the House leader for the Republican Party. What's his name again? It just escapes me. The old guy, like me, he was being interviewed by uh, the Sunday morning shows, and. Uh, they confronted him with after the insurrection, January 6th insurrection, where he said, this is intolerable and Trump shouldn't do this and yada, yada. And now he said he would support Trump as a leader. And then when he was pressed on that, he says he would do that because he respects the will of the party. And there are a bunch of trained buffoons. And bring it back to Canada. It's no different than the Liberal Party or even the Conservative Party. There's not one of them there that speak their mind or do the right thing. It's whatever the boss says, this yeah. type of thing, you know, and the cat calling. And I think people, certainly I, I'm not talking for Canadians, but certainly I'm talking for the Canadians that live in my house, are getting tired of this. I don't care about the party. I don't care about your ambitions. What's right to do for the country? For the people of the country and the human, you know, the people of the world, and we don't see that. It's just they follow like sheep. And I guess to be in politics, that's what you got to do. I, I don't know. That's why you I'm pat not yourself on the back. Great job, guys. We're doing Great. so awesome. Here, yeah. here. Like it's it's a farce. It's a farce. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to our topic of the day, which is drones. And uh, like I said, the topic came up not because uh, either Brian or myself are experts in drone technology, um, but uh, Brian decided to buy himself a little toy. And uh, he's been playing with it. And so through that discussion, we thought it'd be a good uh, topic to cover today. Um, and when we talk about drones, well, first, you know what? I'm going to ask Brian, what possessed you to uh, to invest in the uh, in the little drone that you're using? I wanted to spy my neighbors, seriously. No. <laughs> and that's what first comes to mind with people, uh, right? I, I know. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, it, it's something, you know, it was a toy. It was an adult toy. And I must say that there's toy drones and there's really sophisticated drones and everything in between. And I got a really good entry-level recreational drone that is not a toy. It's made by DJI, one of the preeminent drone makers. And what possessed me is I told my wife, you never get me any good presents. And <laughs> she surprised me. And I was really surprised because I didn't get her any good present over the holidays. And uh, when I called a friend to see how much uh, she spent, now I was angry because it was a lot of money. But <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I always, you know, when I was younger, I used to fly or at least try to fly an airplane. Wasn't very successful at that. But I've always enjoyed getting up on the sky. I uh, ride a motorcycle, as you know. I like to do a lot of touring. The idea of being able to bring a drone with me, stop, see a, uh, a scenic uh, venue, put the drone up, get some video. That was sort of the motivation. Also to kill some time on the weekends or when I'm not too busy. And it's just a lot of fun. I got to tell you something though. Uh, it, it, everyone I've talked to in the drone community uh, uh, that's a, a rookie like I am, has the same feeling. You st you're flying a thing. Mine is a small drone. It's under 250 grams, which means I don't have to have it registered. I don't need to have a pilot's license to operate it or an operator's license. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> and But the thing um, 
uh, you're flying the thing and you're flying it in uh, areas where there's not a lot of people so that if it crashes, it doesn't really matter. Plus, the drone I have has a warranty that if it, cra it can crash up to two times a year and they'll replace it. Okay, so this is an $800 thing. You don't want to crash it. It comes with a two-year warranty, which means that included in the warranty, if it crashes or you lose it, you get a, a replacement drone up to two times a year. But when I fly it, and a lot of new pilots tell me the same thing is, I'm scared. I'm scared I'm going to crash it and I'm going to lose it. And I'm flying, it's like when I flew an airplane, I wasn't scared of crashing and killing myself. You know, flying this drone, which if it crashes, no harm, no foul to me, you know, scared. But I'm just amazed uh, how high it goes, how far it can go five miles away, uh, how great the camera is. So that's why I bought it. Well, it sounds like uh, like it's a lot of fun. I've I've thought of getting one myself, but I've got a bike to buy before then, which which I'm working on. I I don't have bank of uh, claiming funding me like like you do, so I've got to take some time to no, no. Uh, to work my way up. But you have the Senate. It's called your wife, who's overseeing. She's she's a second thought. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's going to take me a while to get there. But there's a lot. There has been case studies. There have been people charged. And there are concerns even with uh, commercial real estate in terms of privacy, the privacy implications of using drones. You know, the ability to fly up uh, towers, you know, be able to view meetings from the outside. And at this point, I mean, they probably even have microphones capable of listening in on what they're what they're looking at. Um, so when you take that license, as you just said, there's no uh, there's no license requirements around there. So is it really up to the user to educate themselves on what the implications are or what is required? Or, or is there something that comes with the drone that tells you what you need to be aware of? How does that work? Well, there is legislation in Canada, and it's very clear. And anyone operating a drone, whether you're licensed or not, has a legal obligation under the Aeronautics Act to understand what the rules are. And very simplistically said that if a drone is less than 250 grams, and the one I fly is 249, 249 grams, you don't have to be licensed. It doesn't have to be registered, but you do have to abide by the, the regulations. And uh, drones, the operation of drones, you can get that right off the Transport Canada website, are governed by the Aeronautics Act, uh, relevant sections of the criminal code, including offenses against the air, uh, air or maritime safety, breaking and entering, uh, mischief, provincial acts such as the Trespass to Property Act, and also uh, voyeurism and privacy regulations. So whether you're registered or not, whether you have a license or not, those things still come into play. You know, we're a podcast about security, not really about Brian's interest in drones, but the reason I thought this would be a good idea is when I was in charge of a large portfolio of uh, commercial properties across Canada, we encountered drones, as I'm sure you did also. And drones presented all sorts of challenges for us. There was a safety challenge. If you think of it, if you have a building or a complex that has 7,000, 10,000 people in it, and there's a courtyard, if the drone falls out of the sky, even if it's only 250 grams, someone can get hurt. Uh, property can be damaged. We actually had situations where I remember one in Calgary, there was an annual general meeting of one of our tenants, a major tenant, and there were reports of a drone flying in proximity to the 16th floor window where the conference room was. Not sure what that was about, but it is becoming an, a challenging area. The laws have not really caught up. I mean, Luke, if you would come onto a property that I'm responsible for, and you were there involved in prohibited activity or doing something you shouldn't do, under the Trespass to Property Act, 
I can ask you to leave. And if you didn't leave, you'd be subject to arrest. With the drone, if, if the person's operating the drone on the property, it's the same thing. But what if the person is operating the drone off the property across the street? What are your legal rights? Well, the law's not really clear right now. And that's going to be a challenge for owners, security directors, property owners, building managers, in terms of how they respond to these types of incursions that occur. And one last thing I want to say, and this isn't just uh, my fantasy or James Bond movies, drones have been weaponized. And we've seen that in Iraq. We've seen that in Ukraine right now. And I'm not talking about military-grade drones. I'm talking about even small commercial drones. Uh, remember, uh, shortly after the uh, the all the terrorism scares in Toronto in 2014, and we were down in CSIS, that was a concern that we were tracking about terrorists or criminals weaponizing drones. So it really is more than just a toy, and you got to think about it. Yeah, and, and it doesn't, uh, when you talk about weaponized, there's actually, I mean, there's the figurative weaponization of the of the drone, to your point, whether it be, you know, in some cases they talk about uh, handguns or, or um, uh, firearms, but in, in the case of, our, of the Ukraine, like you talk about, there's actually missiles and bombs being loded onto those things. Now, granted, they're not a 250 milligram <laughs> uh, uh, drone, um, but the other piece of weaponization is the intelligence and data that it can gather. And when you talk about the criminal element, you know, I was reading in preparation for this how criminal organizations are using that to do reconnaissance on potential targets. Um, you know, harassment, people who want to track people. You can do it through a drone now. Um, watch people in their homes from a distance. They're not even aware of it. Um, so there's all kinds of implications and scary implications that I don't think people are really aware of. You know, for most people, it's still just a toy. Um, and that's how they view it. And that, I think, is dangerous because... By the time we figure out that it's not just a toy and that we should be locking it down under some kind of security measure, it's already going to be, you know, the cat's out of the bag type thing. Well, you know, I'm not overly concerned about weaponization, but truly as a security leader, uh, you have to think about that. But I'm amazed with drones, the payload they can carry. Now, a 250 gram uh, drone like I operate does have a payload. It's a very small payload. I don't think you're going to bring any sort of weapon up there. But the next level of drones and i'm not talking about the stuff we saw in iraq the stuff that are recreational drones or drones are used for business in toronto okay yeah. they can carry a payload and they can be easily weaponized not by me but by people that are inclined to do so yeah. like terrorists people that have that skill set so uh, and as you said, the weaponization isn't just necessarily lethal weaponization the fact that it's used in an offensive uh, manner uh, you talked a little bit about uh, scary parts of drones. One of the biggest challenges uh, th that I've been reading is, uh, and it's not so much, I guess, in a commercial office tower environment, but is voyeurism. I mean, yeah. these drones are so small, they're hard to detect, and the cameras are so powerful. I am amazed at the things that I see in, in, in the forest, okay? Like, for example, I could see a rabbit from like 1,500 feet up, okay, in the sky, and maybe uh, a 300 feet or 400 feet behind it. I could see all that stuff. I see coyotes. I could see all sorts of nature below. And it just makes you wonder if someone was flying the drone over the neighborhood type thing, what they could see spying on neighbors, or just intelligence, trying to figure out what's happening behind those walls. One of the things I noticed, which is quite interesting, many of my neighbors have nicer backyards than mine. I've lived here for 22 years, never saw the backyard because it was a nice six-foot fence. So it just got me thinking of all the good things you can do with drones, 
all the potentially bad things. I know like from a security point of view as a consultant, we can use it. We can uh, survey a scene for a client. We could look at the building, we look at the rooftops. Uh, I know an, another big company in Toronto was doing some work for Costco. It was a brand new opening. The police had said they were expecting a lot of traffic. That if the traffic starts, if the traffic coming into the Costco starts backing onto the street, we're going to shut down this area because you can't obstruct the street. So Costco hired this company to put a drone up in the sky, it's a security company, and they saw the traffic build up and they were able to adjust the flow of uh, traffic into this uh, building so it didn't affect the street. So there's a lot of positives for drones, but easily it could be used for uh, sinister and negative reasons as well. And it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I wanted to cover two more points in terms of the the, the risks, and then I'll, I'll change gears and go back to the positive positive aspects of, of drones. But uh, one of the uh, one of them is not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise because it is technology, and we all know that. Certainly, when it comes to consumer type technology, um, you know, security measures is sort of a last thought or an afterthought. Um, and you know, reading up again on on drones. Uh, they are suffering like most other technologies from actually being locked down properly. So there's back doors, they're mm -hmm. vulnerable to hacking. Um, and there are some cases, you know, on, on uh, online, and again, just a cursory search, it doesn't take much to find them, where databases, where all that, where all that information goes, because it's not just guys like you and me who would be using drones. I mean, CN Rail uses drones, CSIS will use drones. Um, and so those databases, uh, that, you know, that data is accumulated and stored somewhere and they become targets for, you know, foreign nations or hackers or whatever it is. So there is a cybersecurity element to, to uh, drone technology as well that's risky and still uh, sort of in its infancy like most technology. And then the other piece I wanted to talk about or touch on in terms of security concerns when it comes around drone usage. And I've always sort of wondered, you know, like Amazon in particular comes to mind, they've, they've, they're growing these uh, drone fleets, right? And they want to be able to deliver goods to your house. And it's all great future technology type of, of ideas. But I always wondered, with all these freaking drones flying around in the air, you know, how are you going to coordinate all that traffic, first of all? Like, where's the safety element? How are they going to manage that? Because if they hit each other and you're standing underneath it or, you know, some child's, you know, there's risks there. Um, and then I was also, again, reading about how idiots among us would use those drones, and you can see it happening. It happened at the Sky Dome all the time, or the what is it now, the Rogers Center, um, where you know there's an event happening. Okay, and now in that case, maybe it's a baseball game, but there have been disasters. So, for example, a forest fire or a house fire, and you know emergency elements are there fighting the fire, and then all of a sudden these clowns with their drones are flying around, potentially make it riskier for the response, right? You know, you got planes coming in to dump uh, water on a forest fire, and there's drones in the area. That becomes dangerous to the crews of those of those aircraft. So there are those types of elements that don't get in the news often enough, but I think are real risks that need to be addressed before we sort of expand our acceptance into everyday business deliveries for Amazon. Well, you're right. And um, one uh, incident comes to mind uh, a few years ago. There was uh, a, a commercial drone company in downtown Toronto was operating a drone. It was a new office tower that was going up and the drone was uh, uh, contracted by the uh, building owners for marketing for they're putting together a uh, tenant perspective and they want a prospectus and they wanted to share with their prospective tenants uh, or uh, yeah tenants that they're trying to attract 
all the building amenities, what it looked like. And it was a beautiful building and everything. But what they failed to do is they failed to tell anyone they were doing it. So this was sort of a benign, legitimate use of a drone. But they didn't tell the neighboring properties. They never told the city of Toronto or the Toronto police. And I remember that morning, the calls came in to the various buildings and police departments. And even the RCMP and it became a national security event because the drone was seen hovering in proximity, the, the, the building being filmed was in proximity to the Rogers Center, the CN Tower. And they were taking all sorts of scenic shots with these things in the background. We thought it was a potential terror attack. And it was yeah. as simple as the operator uh, of the drone or the company that was engaged didn't call the at least the city of Toronto or the police so that when 911 started getting calls, they would have said, oh yeah, they've got a permit to do this. There's nothing to worry about. So it is such a fast uh, emerging uh, uh, technology that the laws and even the common sense really hasn't caught up with it yet. I want to address something you said about uh, consumer goods. We know from meetings we've had with different intelligence partners that there's a rush to market consumer goods are different than military goods or even uh, let's say uh, company goods technology they want to get it out there as quickly as they can and they worry about the security afterwards they'll patch it if they have to uh, in the news recently is apple air tags those things are so so yeah, exciting right. to come to market and apple's working on it for a long time and no one could have foreseen this but they're used now by abusive people tracking a wife or a former girlfriend to see where she's going used by criminals they've been implicated in a few kidnappings recently so it's a it's an example of where the technology the sky's the limit what we could do we just got to figure out how do we manage that and how do we uh, how do we manage it to ensure that it is used for the intended purpose and it isn't hijacked? Because you talked about hackers, all this stuff can be hijacked for sinister use. And you know that's not just being uh, alarmist. It's not watching too many sci-fi's. That's just the reality. And that's something as a security practitioner keeps me up. And I'll assure you at night. You know, it's not my major concern, but it is an attack venue. It's an area of concern, threat, and risk that you can't discount. You shouldn't discount. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you said there, which is which is rare. But uh, <laughs> you know, and and just to to make it clear, you know, to your to your point about it, I think it's just an infant, uh, an industry still in its infancy. So it's going to have its growing pains. It's going to take some time to establish the protocols, the framework, um, and educate people on the proper use of that. You know, because having said all the negatives uh, or the potential negatives. Uh, concerns about the drones. There's a lot of good things they're doing, and it's not just photography, like most people know them for photography, but these things are being used to fly first aid kits to mountaintops, you know, critical medication that needs to be flown across town that can't wait in traffic. Um, you know, it's a safe and effective way to do patrols of the highways for police. Police have been using them for, for a while now as well. You don't have to risk a person's life to be able to follow targets. Like we used to follow targets in cars in my day, you know, so we're flying around traffic in uh, you know breaking laws, maybe bending them a little to keep up with with targets and not losing them. You could do that with a drone and absolutely no risk to to any officers on the ground. So there's that. Um, talk about military applications. You, you, I mean, depending on your perspective, yeah, it's pretty cool that you can bomb somebody from the desk, you know, from the safety of your desk. But I think there's there's problems with that as well because it removes the reality of war in many ways. And so it's pretty easy to, I mean, basically it's like you're playing, playing a video game, except the people you're dropping bombs on are freaking real, man. And it, it it lessens the effect on the user. And I think it makes it too easy for operators to say, well, you know, there's a target, drop it on there. 
no implications. He's not. He doesn't have to see those people. He doesn't have to hear the results of of, of uh, you know a wrong hit or a wrong bomb somewhere. So I think there's still some challenges there. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, we're able to check on power lines without having to you know deploy resources. You can go and check. Uh, Rail lines across the country, again, cost effectively. You don't have to drive out there and, and uh, you know, expose people to the elements and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of good things that uh, drones can do. But as I said, I think it's still very much in the inf infancy of its, of its mature you know, path to maturity. Um, and there's a lot of things that need to be addressed before we can uh, openly accept them as a viable and safe opportunity or uh, security option. Yeah, and I would uh, uh, suggest that our uh, partners, our, our colleagues in the security of buildings, security of facilities, really understand the laws as they relate to drones, because flying a drone in and of itself isn't necessarily or isn't against the law, but how you fly it might be. And again, uh, the go-to bag for security practitioner, practitioners is the Trespass to Property Act. That is probably the best uh, 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 legal avenue most uh, security people have to keep property safe and secure and keep unwanted parties up or away or inject someone. It's very cloudy with drones because again, you if you cause a disturbance, okay, uh, and uh, you were on the property shouting and you had a baseball bat, you're swinging it, it's prohibited activity. I can ask you to leave and if you don't leave, you're subject to an arrest. Well, if I'm flying from across the street a drone and I'm buzzing people in your courtyard, or if I'm just hovering, causing a disturbance, I'm across the street. Uh, you can't arrest me with trespass to property. That becomes a police matter, you know. And uh, there's far too many security folks that aren't really up to speed on the legislation or the evolving legislations or threats, and they may overstep their boundaries, which creates liability for them, the company they work for, and also the building owners that contract them. So you really have to think about these things take them seriously and listen i wouldn't you know lose sleep over it if i'm a building owner or a company owner but your risk department your security people someone has to think about what the threats and risks are and what the response is it isn't always as simple as it may appear yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it at that that's a good summary um you know as the owner you're ultimately responsible and just like uh, when you get into your car you're responsible that it works most people don't do a circle check of the car but if you look at the law, you're supposed to check, make sure that all those lights are working, the blinkers are working, the headlights work, brakes are operational, and then you can't claim afterwards that you didn't know uh, if you get into an accident. So it's sort of similar. You know, you you own it, you buy it, you're responsible for it. Educate yourself on how to use it properly so you don't get yourself into trouble. Um, so I'm good with that. I think it's been a good discussion on drones that uh, from two people who are not experts in the subject. But I think it's uh, it, it should be an eye-opener to listeners who... Think of it as uh, just a just a toy, right? Like a lot of people still think of it as a toy, and in many aspects, it probably is. It's mostly used as a toy by people who think that way. But the reality is, others in the area, um, you know, may view it differently. Certainly, if you're hovering above their pool on a Sunday afternoon while they're trying to enjoy a backyard um, patio party or or sunbathing, uh, which has happened. You know, I've had some neighbors run into some problems with that, whether intentionally or not. But uh, you know, you just have to be aware that uh, there's a bigger there's bigger things to consider than just you getting up into the air and taking an innocent picture of, of your neighbor's homes uh, because they may not want that and they have a right to uh, to protect their privacy. Brian, any other uh, comments? 
Yeah, I just want to end off by saying that uh, I, I, I sort of sense that you sort of appreciated today my input more than typically because I noticed <laughs> that when you do drink, you usually have about 12 to 14 zips during the broadcast. I've only counted three, and this was the fourth one. So either I'm doing better or you're getting slower. I'm not really sure. It's self-medication. It works wonders. <laughs> <laughs> the elixir of the gods. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that's good, folks. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Again, if you like our uh, our podcast, please hit like and uh, share amongst your circle of friends. We uh, we appreciate all the support and certainly appreciate the emails and the kind comments we receive on uh, in person, actually often enough, um, and via email. Um, and uh, don't forget to like us and uh, visit our sponsor, brianclayman.com, for, uh, for a review of uh, the services he offers to clients and uh, how he's able to help you. And uh, keep your head down because he is going to be learning how to use that drone over the next few weeks. And <laughs> I, I pity the trees in his neighborhood. <laughs> Brian. Everyone have a great week. Talk. All right. We'll see you later. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets. <laughs>